This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, everyone. This is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. You're now listening to the Destination Debbie Podcast. I present your host, Ray Garvin, the creator of Destination Debbie, and your go-to source for all things Debbie and college football. Welcome back for episode 31 of the Destination Debbie Podcast. I am your host, Ray Garvin. You know where to find me on Twitter at RayGQ. Make sure you're following the show at Destination Debbie as well. But tonight, I mean, I am pumped. I am excited because this is, we're 31 episodes in and this is the first one where we're actually going to answer questions from you guys, the listeners. And I've implored a special guest to help me tonight answer these questions. So really appreciate his time. This guy knows his stuff. He is a staff writer, uh, Devi and Dynasty Ranker for Dynasty League Football. So we are sort of like co-workers over there at DLF, NFL Draft Analyst analyst at Fantasy Pros, formerly NFL and MLB uh, uh, analyst at Number Fire. He's a Chiefs team correspondent. This guy knows his stuff. Welcome for the first time to the DDP, Joseph Namor. How are you doing? I'm great, Ray. How are you? I am here, man. I'm blessed. I'm alive. It's cold in Texas. So, uh, man, I'm just I'm just excited to talk a little college football with you, my man. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, you've talked about it on the show for, for weeks now. The 2020 class is shaping up to be awesome. Recently, we've seen the 2021 group uh, show some things. So looking forward to talking about some of these guys, answering some of these great questions we got, and uh, just talking some college football with you. Well, I mean, since you brought it up, I mean, let's just go ahead and christen the ship right now and just, I'm just going to ask you right now, give me your top five Debbie running backs and top five Debbie wide receivers. I just want to see where your head is. I mean, the listeners know where I'm at, but I, I want to see where you're at. Well, give me your top five Debbie running backs, top five Debbie wide receivers right now. So I have a type. Um, so at running back, uh, one, two is pretty solidified for me. I have DeAndre Swift at one. Jonathan Taylor at two, and then I have a tear break after them. So I know I listened to the show with uh, Garrett Price on all the running backs. Um, you guys mentioned ETN at three. Um, I actually have Cam Akers at three, ETN four, J.K. Dobbins at five. Okay. All right. You, you, I'm sitting back. You are welcome. You're welcome on this show anytime. I like that list, and I've actually sort of um, – I've sort of warmed up to ETN, man. Um, he's 
his explosion that he has, I, I'm, I've, I've warmed up to him quite a bit. He was never out of uh, my tier one personally, but I had him ranked a little bit lower. But I, I, I love the love that you have for Akers because I'm a big-time Akers fan. So love that list. And real quick, give me your top five Debbie wide receivers. So receiver is tough because there's so many of these guys that you could consider in a top five, and it really call, all comes down to personal preference. For me, I have – C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy and Rondale Moore at one, two, and three in a tier. Then I have a tier break. And after that, I have Justin Ross and Jalen Rager at four and five. And then after that, there's nine names or so that you could really consider um, kind of battling for those four, five, six, all the way through 10 spots. And I've throughout the year, I've bounced them around. I've swapped them in and out but some of those guys i really like are jamar chase henry ruggs lavisca chenault rashad bateman uh, t higgins brian edwards tyler johnson talon wallace Devonte smith so there's a bunch of guys there um, i think they're all excellent they all have their strengths um, but if you are putting me on the spot making me just talk about five it's lamb judy rondale moore justin ross and jalen rager any list with Jalen Rager in the top five is a list I can get down with, man. So I'm I'm feeling that. And, you know, I, I made you kind of jump into it because you brought up the 2020 class. But just tell the listeners, man, how you got into this. I know you're with DLF and you, you've done a lot of other things in fantasy world. So just real quick, who are you? Where'd you come from? What, you know, how did you get into this industry and why do you like Debbie so much? I've always been a huge fantasy sports guy. Um, got into fantasy football probably 15 years or so years ago or so um, started writing about fantasy football back in 2016 um, with number fire got my start with JJ Zacharyson was writing about both football and baseball over there and then as is kind of the case with a lot of people that play Devastine and Dynia uh, Devastine and Dynia edit that out um, <laughs> uh, Dynasty no, I'm keeping, and Devi. I'm keeping that in I'm keeping that in <laughs> As is the case with a lot of people that play Dynasty and Devi, um, I kind of just I got hooked on the keeper aspect of it. And keeper drove me to Dynasty, and Dynasty drove me to Devi. And I love watching football, and that's really where all this came from. So the more I can learn and the more I can help other people, that's kind of why I joined Twitter, uh, why I started writing. Um, that's really how I got my start. Tonight, I really want to get to some of these questions because I think there's some really good ones that are applicable to where most people are in their fantasy football season. And we're going to start out, and, and I've kind of subcategorized these, and we've got some rebuild questions. So right now, we're just going to talk about our general philosophy when it, you know, when it comes to rebuilding in this particular 2020 class. And for me, I've always said you either want to finish, and I know it's easier said you know, then done, but you either want to finish first, or when I say first, you want to be a team that is contending for the title in Dynasty, or you want to be a team that's going to have a really high draft pick in the upcoming class. Being in the middle does you no good. So is that sort of your general philosophy as well when it comes to just rebuilding your Dynasty roster? Yeah, it is. And I mean, people think about contending as if I sneak into the playoffs, anything can happen. And that is true, but you really want to maximize your chances at winning a title. And if you have a fringe team and there's a powerhouse or two and you know you're not going to make it, there's no point 
kind of being in that middle ground because then your rookie picks middling, you don't really maximize your chance at a title for the season you're currently in or for the seasons in the future. So I agree with you, Ray. Um, I tend to uh, tear it down or at least sell some of the pieces that I think would have the most value to contenders if I am rebuilding um, anywhere from kind of outside the top four in a year is where I'll start to look at it. If I'm really towards the bottom of the pack, anything of value can go. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you there. All right, so this first question comes from at Landon Fredericks, and he says, full dynasty rebuild, sold all my assets and need help everywhere. I probably have three of the top five picks in 2020. Should I focus on all running backs? You say you like the 2021 wide receivers, or are Judy or CeeDee Lamb too good to pass up with one of these picks? It's a really good question, and I'm going to let you uh, take the first crack at answering this one. So again, for the listeners, full dynasty rebuild. He's got three of the top five picks. Should he grab all running backs since the 2021 wide receivers are loaded, or do you or do you, you know, pick Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb? So I think this is a great question, and um, as uh, diving into my general philosophy, I think um, – I tend to prior, prioritize wide receiver over running backs in rebuilds. The reason behind it is because I think the receiver position, um, the longevity is there. You don't really have that in running backs. Um, I think you mentioned on a previous episode, like four to five years, if you can get that first contract and get RB1 value out of that, that's great. And then after that, whatever you get, you get. Um, but receivers hold their value. So that's usually how I tend to prioritize um, my rebuilds, but I will say that the running back position generally will gain value the fastest. And that's especially the case with running backs drafted in round one of the NFL draft. Um, so for this particular question, I mean, my top four this year are DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, CeeDee Lamb, and Jerry Judy. Um, if you have three of those top five picks, I don't think you can go wrong. The question says, full dynasty rebuild. So that makes me think this team isn't really a year away. Um, so I would like to get my hands on Judy or Lamb if possible, but I will say if you can get DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor, they're more likely to um, accumulate dynasty value faster, and then you could potentially even flip those for two to three first-round picks in the following year's draft. Um, so there's a couple options, uh, but if you have three to five or three of the top five, you could also potentially trade back a year and try and get two firsts for one. So that's typically how I would handle it. I don't know. Ray, uh, what would you do? I mean, that's, I mean, your answer. I don't know if I can give a better answer than that because, you know, first of all, philosophically, I love the fact that you said you build around wide receivers because I hear a lot of people saying, no, you build around the running back position. You get you a stud running back and then you build from there. But as you were talking through it, if you are truly in a full rebuild, I, I don't – first of all, you can't go wrong with anybody. If you've got three of the top five, I, I really don't think you're going to miss. But, you know, longevity. And I do look at running backs from a four- to five-year window, and after that, anything on top of that is gravy. But wide receivers, you know, you're you're getting seven, eight, nine years out of a wide receiver potentially of, of elite production after, you know, their rookie year or sophomore breakout. So – it actually has me thinking about my philosophy, but this particular question, I don't think you pass up a Judy or a Lamb just to grab a bunch of running backs just because we think the 2021 class 
uh, of wide receivers are supposed to be really good. I, I, I truly believe that, but a lot of things can happen. What if, and let's hope that doesn't happen, what if what happened to Tylen Wallace happens to Justin Ross and Rondell Moore and Jamar Chase, and they end up staying for their senior year? Now you've sort of punted, hoping for something to come to fruition that doesn't. So um, I, I don't think you should focus on all running backs, but like like Joseph said, if you can get a DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor and you know walk away Jerry Judy or, or Ceedee Lamb there, I think I think that's a good a good start to your full dynasty rebuild. So. Uh, great question, Landon. I uh, really appreciate it. And I've got another one from the Brian Chase. So he's a full rebuild here as well. Have two of the top five quarterbacks and Kittle at tight end. So I'm assuming Mahomes or Watson, something like that. Two of the top five quarterbacks in Dynasty and Kittle at tight end. I have seven 20 21st, but mostly from the 3 to 11 range. Should I split even between running back and wide receiver or focus on best player available? Joe? So I saw this question and I saw seven twenty twenty firsts. And for, first of all, that's outrageous, especially in this class. So sounds like this person's in a ter- terrific position long term. What I would consider here is flipping a couple of these firsts for established NFL studs, but I would wait until the NFL draft time or your rookie draft time to actually do it when guys or girls are itching to trade in to these rookie drafts to get in on the action. I think that's when you can see a lot of these NFL studs that are already in the league moved for cheaper prices than you would see otherwise. So I think you can float some of the first-round picks you have here um, and try and get some young, established talent. Um, But I think having said that, with seven firsts, I would take best player available um, pretty much every spot down the board. So um, some of the things I like to look for in my rookie drafts are players drafted in round one. So whether it's receiver or running back, um, round one running backs are going to be floating up towards the top of the class um, in every rookie draft. That's how it works year after year. Um, so if you have the opportunity to draft any of those guys, uh, starting at pick three, I would do that. And then I would look um, to just take the best player available. Man, you let me let me just you hit on so many good points in that. A, if you've got that many twenty twenty first, I don't even care if you have one. If you're not if you're not shopping that around during the draft or right after the combine or while you're on the clock, you're crazy. You always shop it around, even if you know good and well you're gonna make the pick. You shop it around for proven NFL talent, whether you're a rebuilder or a contender, whatever it is, you shop that pick around, especially in this class. And I've actually done that uh, lately. I, I traded a first, a second, and a couple of a uh, couple of guys, and got Ezekiel Elliott. So I mean, if you can do something like that, um, you go ahead and do that. And as far as you, this particular question, splitting even between running back and you don't want to do that. You go best player available. So if that means you're at three, three through four. You go Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Jerry. Like, if you have to take four straight running backs, you go best player available. And and like Joseph said, you can flip those guys. You can flip those picks for proven talent, for proven talent plus. Um, don't just don't have some plan that you're going to get three running backs and then I'm going to get three wide receivers and then I'll get 
a tight end. Don't do that. Go best player available. You already have two of the top five quarterbacks in Dynasty. You've got a great tight end. Get the talent. Worry about worry about all the stuff, all the other stuff later because you can always trade. But I, I'm definitely of the belief that you should shop for proven NFL talent, preferably somebody that's not in their 30s. But right now, you, you need to hold. I, I wouldn't be selling any picks right now. It's it's to the point in the year where there's it really does you know no good. If you're in a rebuild, you might as well hold. Wait until the combine. Wait until Henry Ruggs drops a 4-2 and people go crazy or Jerry Judy goes out there and runs a 6-5, three-cone, you know, and people are going out losing their minds. Then you shop those picks. But right now, week 11 of the NFL season, it, it does you no good trading those first right now. So good question, man. Another one from at Bomber SQD88. So Bomber Squad 88. If this class is as good as you say, can I really afford to pass on Swift, Taylor, or, or Hubbard in a super flex format if I need a QB? How would you approach this? I feel dirty thinking about drafting, drafting Joe Burrow and passing on one of the elite skill position players. Thanks. Uh, so good question. Super flex format. You know, do if you've got one of the top picks, do you pass on Swift or Taylor or Jerry Judy to draft Joe Burrow or Tua or Herbert? Joseph, how how would you handle this if if you had a top pick in a super flex format? So Tua is the 101 for me in Superflex. Um, I would have a hard time passing up Swift or Taylor for Burrow, uh, pending landing spot. So I know recently. Um, we've seen a lot of mock drafts where Joe Burrow is going first overall. If that happens, um, then I think it's hard to pass up on the first overall pick for uh, a running back, especially in the super flex format. Um, having said that, if he goes somewhere and it's one of these more dysfunctional organizations like a, like a Cincinnati um, or Washington especially, um, I would probably pivot off of Burrow. Um to Swift or Taylor, but I will say that quarterback is cheapest during the draft, whether it's the startup draft or the rookie draft. Um, so I, I don't know if I actually answered this question because I am on the fence. Tua is my one-on-one. After that, I think it's more landing spot dependent. Um, I think if Swift or Taylor land in like a Kansas City, um, I take them second without hesitation, but it gets a little fuzzy without knowing landing spot. Um, and you did mention Chuba. I love Chuba. Uh, probably not as much as Ray. He was probably the first person I saw um, kind of touting him. Um, but for me, he's not in the same conversation with Swift and Taylor. I don't know. Ray, where are you on this one? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm probably going to be in this situation in one of my leagues. Now, my quarterback situation right now is not looking as good as I thought it was going to be going into the season. So I've got Dak Prescott, who's money, and then I've got Jared Goff. And I thought he was going to be able to hold me through, but I'm probably going to have uh, one of the top two picks in our in our home draft. Probably, no, actually, it is the number one pick. And I'm struggling because, and it's a super flex format, I know the right thing to do is draft Tua. I know that's what I need to do. But part of me just, I don't, because I have a really good team, I've got a really good team in there, I, I want to be able to take Swift or Taylor or ETN or, or a wide receiver, but in Superflex, man, QB is king. It, it, they really are, and like you said, the cheapest that you can get them is, is during the draft, and 
after that, people are asking for an arm and a leg. So I think in this case, um, you know, I'm not with the, I would take Swift or Taylor over Joe Burrow in a super flex format, but you know, I saw it happen with Daniel Jones. People passed him up left and right in 2019, and even in my home league, he went in the third round. There's no way anybody would trade you a third, a trade Daniel Jones for a third round pick right now. So I think, you know, I, I'm with Joe. Two is my 101 in super flex formats, and then after that, I, I probably need to tier that and, and do some stuff with that. But I probably would take Swift or Taylor over Joe Burrow, and then hopefully I can just grab somebody like. Jalen Hurts or, you know, Jake Fromm, if he declares later on in the second or third, but I would feel real bad <laughs> taking Joe Burrow over Swift, Judy, Lamb, or Taylor right now. I just, I don't think that I can do that. I have an idea for you. I'm curious what you think about this. What's up? If you have 101 and there's a guy at sitting at 103, let's say, that is trying to get up for... um or if you're sitting at 102 and there's a guy that wants to get up there for Burrow um, and you're kind of on the fence between Burrow, Swift, Taylor, um, I would suggest floating the idea of trading down and getting something on top of that um, and then taking whoever's left, whether it's Swift or Taylor or Burrow, um, but then having that additional asset. You kind of lose your leverage with knowing who you're going to pick but you get something extra on top from someone that's a little desperate to move up. I don't know what you think about that, but that's, probably, that's how that's yeah. how I've, I've kind of approached those situations when I don't know who I want um, is I will put the pick on the block and see what comes to me. Um, I will attempt to trade down and accumulate other assets that then I can maybe try and flip for a quarterback if that's something I need. You know, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, my league mates in my uh, home dynasty league listen to this show, so they're they're going to know my plan, but that's exactly <laughs> what I plan on doing. Like, I really don't want to pick at one because I have a strong team. I'd rather trade down, you know, later in the first, pick up a 2021 first, another 2020 first, a second a player, and, and just sort of let the best player fall to me. That would be a lot better than just grabbing who I want to grab and who I know I should take, which is Tua at the 101. So they're all going to hear my plan, but it's still going to work anyway because crazy stuff happens when you're on the clock during a draft, right? Okay, so player questions now. So this one is from at Lucky Box Larry. Really stuck on what to do with Johnson and Edwards. So I'm assuming that's Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards and not Colin Johnson. As in hold or sell. Both have... Good numbers slash breakout age, dominator rating, but they're coming out as seniors. Is draft capital slash landing spot going to mean as much to them as all the numbers? So, you know, I know people out there don't really care for the senior players, senior running backs, senior wide receivers. Why are you, if you're so good and if you broke out in an early age, why are you staying all four or potentially even five years of college? So his question is about Brian Edwards, who will who's coming out as a senior, and Tyler Johnson, who's also a senior. Is draft capital and landing spot going to mean as much to them as all the numbers? Um, what are your thoughts on this one? So I think it's a good question from a number of different angles. I will say I, I was personally surprised when Brian Edwards returned to school after last year. I think so he broke out as a 17-year-old, which is outrageous. Um, and he's 
he shared a field with Debo Samuel and a bunch of other NFL talent. Um, so I thought he was going to be coming out. The fact that he didn't and went back to school was a bit of a surprise, but he broke out as a 17-year-old. So he's still going to be really young um, as an NFL rookie. Tyler Johnson, on the other hand, I mean, at Minnesota, they're not playing um, SEC-level talent week in, week out. I think having gone to a school like Minnesota, he probably wouldn't have seen the draft capital he deserved had he declared as a junior, even though I think he is really talented. And I think he's gotten better this year, even though his numbers are down, sharing the field with Rashad Bateman, who's just a stud. So I think draft capital always matters. Um, there were a lot of people, myself included, that were really high on uh, Hakeem Butler and Kelvin Harmon this past year. And they both got drafted much later than expected, haven't really made much of an impact at all. I know Butler's been injured, but draft capital matters a lot to me in my evaluation. Like I, as a hobby, I enjoy scouting and evaluating these players from a number of different perspectives, both um, tape and metrics and stats and all that stuff. But it does matter um, for both of them. I think they're both studs. Like I can't imagine either of these guys getting outside of day two. So um, as long as they're not drafted on day three, I think they're going to be really good. Landing spot will, of course, affect their draft day value um, where you can get them in your dynasty rookie drafts. But I think they're both uh, I think they're both great talents. I agree with you, and I've, I've I've moved Brian Edwards up my rankings quite a bit. I had him low, and I didn't know why. And when I say low, I don't mean outside of the top 10, but he was towards the bottom of that, and I really don't know why. Um, I think it's one of those things where, you know, South Carolina's not a flashy team, but he he's a fantastic player, um, so he's moved up my rankings quite a bit over, over the last couple of weeks. So to answer this question, I don't think you sell him. I think you hold him. And they, they do have the production profile, the, the breakout age, the dominator rating. And I'm not always as concerned about fourth-year players as some others. Um, I do understand if you are, you know, the, the talented, the most talented of the most talented, then normally you do come out as a junior. But you just don't know the situations. You don't know why a kid stayed for a senior year. You don't, we don't know those things, so I'm not going to hold that against them. I think they're both going to have decent draft capital. We'll see where they land. But they've got the numbers and the production to back their game, so I'm not selling Tyler Johnson or Brian Edwards. Good question. This question right here is from at BallBBFly22. How do you feel about the big boy wide receivers? T. Higgins, Colin Johnson, Warren Jackson, all 6'4 and above. Seems like the NFL is going away from this type of wide receiver, in parentheses, Hakeem Butler. So this is a question about these three specific players, but... Just to take a quick step back and look at this from more of a big picture view, I think over the years we've seen the NFL be stubborn and averse to change with some of these coaches stuck in like archaic mindsets. But recently, I think more coaches and hires, whether it's Sean McVay, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Kyle Shanahan, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, whoever, um, adapting some of these more... um, kind of creative ideas from the college game, which is faster. Um, There's a lot of spread and air raid influence. And route running and quickness seems to be what teams are 
prioritizing more now. And oftentimes these bigger guys aren't the most advanced route runners. And that's a generalization. I don't want to say that's the case for every receiver, but I think more, more often than not, the smaller guys are quicker and more fluid than these bigger guys. So I think some of these old prototypical size receivers, like the 6'3", 215, 220 guys, can sometimes have a slower transition to the NFL level if they're not as advanced with their route running. So for me, it's important to consider this when evaluating players. And it is just my personal opinion, so I want to put that out there. So for these guys, you mentioned T. Higgins, um, Colin Johnson, and Warren Jackson. T. Higgins is a stud, and I think his success at Clemson should see him drafted pretty early, and I like him by far the most out of this group. Um, he's, a, he's a good route runner. Um, he's not great, but he has improved throughout his career at Clemson. Um, but there are a lot of things he does really well. I think his catch radius and hands stand out as obvious strengths. He excels above the rim. He's physical with the ball in his hands. Um, so I think no matter where he goes, should uh, be an impact as a downfield threat and as a red zone threat immediately. Um, I'm kind of out on Colin Johnson. He's just not really for me. He's kind of stiff. He's been outshined on his own team um, by Devin Duvernay. I know, Ray, you're a big fan of Duvernay. Uh, but Johnson is kind of just like a plotter to me. I, I, he's huge. He's 6'6", 220. Um, so like the catch radius is there. He's pretty good at tracking the ball downfield. He has decent hands. He's just, he's not really very fluid. And I don't think the NFL is going to gravitate towards players like that, but I could be wrong. And then Warren Jackson is a guy that's flying under the radar. I mean, I always like to scout the player and the traits and not the helmet. Uh, but Colorado State has actually produced some solid pros in recent years, whether it's uh, Rashard Higgins, Michael Gallup, Preston Williams. So I think it's beneficial to know that even though Colorado State doesn't play the toughest competition, um, they have had a number of receivers now who have transitioned to the NFL game pretty well. Um, and I don't think Jackson's going to have significant draft capital at all, especially with the depth of this class. But I do think he's uh, he's an NFL talent. And I think he's a guy that will more likely than not probably go in the fourth round or go undrafted in your dynasty rookie drafts. But he's a player that I think will make a roster and could potentially be a guy you want to watch during the preseason um, to see if he kind of gains any value. Yeah, Colorado State has quietly, you know, produced some very nice receivers. I mean, you know, Michael Gallup, Preston Williams in recent memory, but they had another guy a couple of years ago, and I can't think of his name, and he didn't fire at the next level like I kind of hoped he would, but he was a good collegiate wide receiver there at Colorado State. Um, I, I'm with you. I am out on Colin Johnson. Coming into the season, I was actually pretty high on him or higher because he did show flashes as a junior, but he has been outshined and outplayed by a country mile by Devin DuVernay. And I know part of it is injuries, but he just, he looks like a big plotter. And I think I was enamored with some of the spectacular catches that he made. And at six foot six, he can make those. I mean, his catch radius is ridiculous. It's, it's, you know, and there's a big difference between a six, six wide receiver and a six, four wide receiver. I have no problem 
or no concern about T. Higgins whatsoever. Zero. I think T. Higgins is a stud like you. I think he was, he's improved his route running from last year. He's actually, he's really good after the catch. You know, you're not going to mistake him for a Jalen Rager type blazer, but after the catch, he's a lot better than people give him credit for. His body control and ball tracking ability is outstanding. And, you know, I, I, I really think he's going to be a solid, solid pro at the next level. But just general philosophy with these bigger receivers. And that's why I'm a little bit concerned about Antonio Gandy-Golden and some of these other guys. I mean, the NFL is changing. And that's not to say six foot four wide receivers and above can't have success, just like they thought at one point in time short quarterbacks couldn't play or these itty-bitty slot receivers, that's all they can do and they're breaking the mold. But I do think you have to be fluid. You have to be able to get in and out of cuts. You have to be able to beat man, man press coverage. You can't just out jump people because that's not how the game is played. That's not what quarterbacks are doing. I am intrigued by Warren Jackson. I have not dug into him enough, but he is somebody that I know. Uh, one of the guys that I follow on Twitter, his name is Austin Vernay. He's a really big Warren Jackson fan, bigger than anybody in the whole world probably, uh, besides Warren Jackson himself. He's got him as a top five receiver in the 2020 class. I'm not there yet. I'm not even at top 10. But if I can get somebody like him in the fourth round of my dynasty draft or off of the waiver wire and just stash him uh, at the end of my bench, taxi squad, if you have those, that's what I did with Preston Williams. That's what I did with Darius Slayton. That's what I did with Auden Tate two years ago. And people laughed at me when I when I had Auden Tate stash. And I said, it's Tate season. It's coming. It's coming. And my league mates laughed at me. And then I ended up trading him and got uh, Michael Thomas in the deal for Auden Tate. So, you know, if you can get players like that, it wasn't Auden Tate for Michael Thomas, but he was part of the package. But if you can get players like that and stash them away, they can accrue value because I think, you know, a player like Warren Jackson in particular – does have a shot. So uh, really good question because I know a lot of people are, are, are having questions about the bigger wide receivers. So this one right here from Scotty Do D-O-O-O-O-O-O. I've got the number one pick, but looking for more capital. How many picks is the overall pick worth? One quarterback, no tight end premium, half point PPR. So he's got the number one pick. He wants more draft capital. He's doing what you suggested I should do is trade back. So Joe, how many picks is the number one pick in this class worth? Man, it really depends where the other picks are kind of looking at are falling. So I would say in general, if you're trading uh 101 in the 2020 draft, you could probably get and for me, the top tier is a tier of four. So I would be looking at 104. And then on top of that, you could probably get a late first, like a 111. And then you could probably get um, like a future second, like a 2021 second on there. Um, so I would start by looking for something like that. I would need at least two firsts to move off 101. Or I would look for a later first and a current NFL player. Um Something kind of like that. Um, I think at, at a minimum you can get uh, an another early first, probably a late first, and then kind of float it out there, see what else you can get. But that's at a minimum where I would start. Well, what about Superflex? So you were talking about two as your your runaway one on one quarterbacks are you know the cheapest at the draft. So if, what if it's a Superflex format? And, you know, someone's gunning for Tua. Is it is that sort of your same, you know, evaluation uh, there? Or does it change the value of that 101? 
Um, it does change the value of the 101 because I think it's going to be more coveted, um, especially in some of those deeper super flex formats where like every quarterback with a pulse is rostered. Like there are going to be guys that really want to go after Tua or Joe Burrow or whoever at the 101 uh, to secure their their quarterback stud of the future. Um, so I think in that instance, you can get even more. Um, I don't know how much more you'd be able to get than what I was kind of just describing. Um, it depends. It's league dependent. So um, depends how bad people want to move up. And if obviously, if no one is that interested in paying those prices to move up, you're not going to be able to get it. So you need to be flexible with what your league mates are willing to give you. Um, but you do have the leverage in that you are the one holding the pick. So I would look for uh, an early first, a late first, and a second, whether it's like a late 2020 or a 2021 second, something like that. Um, whether one QB or super flex, but I think super flex, that pick is a bit more valuable. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you, and I've, I've said this example before on this show, but in my home league during the draft, we were in the third round and one of my league mates just wanted this pick so bad to take. And I can't even think of the player that he took now. He's not making an impact on his roster, but it's the hype of the draft. It's the allure of I can scout better, better than the next. And he traded a 2020 first for a 2019 third on the clock. And I mean, that just blew my mind. So if you have the 101 or if you if if your pick is shaping up to be the, the top pick in 2020, let that bad boy, I know it's burning a hole in your pocket and you're going to be ready to trade once your league, you know, trade deadline opens back up for, you know, the the off season or if you don't have it, but hold it, hold it. Don't trade it. Just wait, wait until the night before the NFL draft, wait until the night before your dynasty rookie draft. Don't trade it because as sure as the sun rises in the morning, somebody will be a, be willing to overpay uh, to get that guy. And, you know, the quarterback landscape, it's not as <laughs> – everyone's looking for the next Patrick Mahomes, the next Lamar Jackson, the next, you know, that type of quarterback. And the, the quarterback landscape right now is a little gross. So if you've got that pick, especially in super flex formats, or if DeAndre Swift goes out there and, and continues to tear it up, just, just hold on to it. But I, I'm with Joe. I think at least two firsts in that draft plus – you know, a second, even next year's first. You know, people get desperate. They're not even thinking about 2021. I want two first and your next year's first for this 101. You do that or you you package that up to get a proven a proven veteran. So good question, man. All right, so let's uh, move on to this next, next uh, subsection, and it's the 2020 class versus the 2021 class. And we've only got one question here, and it's from Smooth96T. With all the hype surrounding the 2020 class, what are your thoughts about zigging to 2021 to the 2021 class and acquiring those picks by selling 2020s? Joe, what do you think about that? Selling your 2020s for 2021s. I'll start by saying in point per carry leagues, I would not do this because uh, 2021 running back class is actually, it's, I don't want to say weak, but the 2020 class blows it out of the water. And if you're looking for a running back, this is the class to get them. Um, having said that, if it's not that format, I think it can be savvy. The 2021 class um, is incredibly wide receiver heavy. It's, uh, it's deep. It's stacked at the top. Um, 
But I would say if, you, if you're going to trade your 2020 firsts, make sure you're getting more than just one 2021 first, whether it's two 2021 firsts or a first and a second or a first and a player. If you are pivoting, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a bad idea, uh, make sure you're getting something on top of just that pick. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the same way, and <clears throat> I don't know if you I, I don't know about zigging completely to 2021 and just saying I'm punting the 2020 class. And Joe and I were talking before uh, the before we got on live. You know, we don't. It's the the word words like elite and generational and historic. They're thrown around in this fantasy football atmosphere far too often, far too loosely. But this 2020 class truly does have the potential to be historic, and I truly believe that. From the running back position, the wide receivers, the tight ends are shaping up to be a little bit better than we thought coming into the year, and the quarterback class is shaping up to be a hell of a lot better than we thought when we started this when we started this college football season. But just just looking at running backs and wide receivers, and, and I've talked about this on multiple shows, on this show, the 2020 class and the 2021 class, it's going to be a changing of the guard. It's going to be out with the old. Some of the players that we've grown up with and we love, you know, I love Julio Jones. Uh, you know, I think Keenan Allen is a fantastic, fantastic wide receiver. And some of these running backs, we've already seen David Johnson not looking like himself. And Todd Gurley, I don't know what's going on there. But these guys are going to push some of those guys out. It's 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 going to happen. It's inevitable. They can't hang around. Julio Jones can't play forever. Somebody's got to take over. So punting on the 2020 class is not the best idea. I would not do that. If you wanted to trade back and acquire more 2021 picks, and you know, when you walk away from your 2020 rookie draft, you've got, you know, three more 2021 picks than you had going in, then I think that's a fantastic job. But I would not punt and sell the 2020 class in hopes of you know, striking gold in, in 2021. While I believe that the wide receiver class, and I'm I'm ready to make the statement, Joe, and I, I'd like for you to chime in. I think the wide receivers in 2021 are better in than the 2020 class. And that's that's saying a lot, or at least the potential to be better in 2020. I'm there. 2021 wide receivers over 2020. But looking at the running backs right now today, it's not close. You you want to get your running back in 2020. So I would not zig that far but I don't think it's a bad idea to start acquiring those picks. So based just real quick what I just said, 2021 versus 2020, the wide receivers, where are you at? So in terms of the overall strength, I think 2020 is deeper, and I know guys will emerge next year. Um, so uh, more to come on that. But 2021, the top is loaded. I mean, towards the intro of the show, I talked about – Rondell Moore and Justin Ross being in my top five. Um, then right outside of the top five, you got guys like Jamar Chase, Rashad Bateman, um, and a whole other group of them, like Amonra St. Brown, uh, Sage Surratt, if he doesn't come out this year, um, Jalen Waddle. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing uh, a bunch Williams of names. Seth Williams, yep. Um, so there's a bunch of guys that are going to be right at the top of that 2021 class. And I think they're all outstanding talents. Um, so I, I do agree with you that that class is probably better overall. Um, I think the challenging thing in Debbie leagues, and especially when you're trying to rank these guys is if 
all, all else being equal, you're trying to determine whether the guy a year from now is better than the guy coming out this year. And you have to weigh um, kind of the the risk and reward or the pros and cons against um, like investing in a guy that you know you're going to have to wait an extra year for. Um, so it's one of the fun things about playing in Devi formats is kind of balancing that. It, but I, I do think that I am ready to go there and say that the 2021 receivers are better um, at the top than the 2020 class. And and I, and I want to and, and let me just ask you your personal philosophy because I've had this question before. When you're doing your rankings, do you weigh the NFL sort of these guys are going to be in the NFL before you know, 2021 or 2020, and you rank those guys higher. So let's just say, for instance, and I, I know I know that your rankings aren't set up like this, but we know that Tyler Johnson, or let's say Jamar Chase, let's use a better example because I think Jamar Chase is, is, is up there, or Justin Ross. Would you put a player like Justin Ross who may be more talented than Jalen Rager, would you rank him over Rager or, you know, would you rank Rager over Ross, who you may believe Ross has the more talent, would you rank Rager higher because he's going to be in the NFL sooner than Justin Ross? Or, you know, I've had that question before. Do you, you know, how do you weigh NFL opportunity opposed to just raw talent? Because it could be a, a true freshman. You know, we saw it with Trevor Lawrence. He was like the Debbie 101 in Superflex formats before he stepped foot on the on the Clemson football field, but he's not even eligible until 2021. So how do you how do you personally rank those guys? when you know you're going to have to wait a year or two or maybe even three for them to touch the field? I think it's a great question. And I weigh a lot of those things that you just mentioned um, when I am trying to to consider whether I would prefer a guy two years from now over a guy a year from now. Like, As an example, maybe this is a hot take, but I think Justin Fields is the best quarterback in college football. Boom. And, Boom. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had Fields over Lawrence coming out of high school. Uh, obviously changed course last year when Lawrence set the world on fire. Um, but this year has been kind of a flip or a reverse of last year. I have Fields back over Lawrence. But before we got on the show, I was debating in my head whether I have Tua locked in at QB1 or if I actually want to put Justin Fields there. And I left Tua at QB1 because he's going to be a first-round pick this year. We've seen quarterbacks – I'll throw Daniel Jones out there as an example. Guy was probably drafted in the second or third round, even of Superflex drafts, and he's like almost a back-end QB1 in ADP right now. So quarterbacks accumulate value once they hit the league so quickly, and I think – at that position, especially, um, you need to prioritize guys that are coming out sooner rather than later on. I think with running back and receiver, it's a little bit fuzzier. I mean, I had Rondell Moore at wide receiver one coming into the season. I think the injury obviously doesn't help, but he wasn't as productive. And then we've seen guys like C.D. Lamb just kind of explode this year. I mean, Lamb, to me, was the better receiver uh, over Marquise Brown even last year, but we're seeing what Lamb can do as like the clear 1A in that offense this year. So I think to answer your question, 
I consider a lot of things in my rankings. Uh, that is really the main thing I try to wrestle with when I'm considering these guys. If it's truly an even tie, I'll put the guy coming out earlier ahead of the guys that are going to be in school longer. But I think if I think the talent is truly better, like if I really think a Justin Ross is better than a Jalen Rager, to use the example you gave me, I won't have a problem putting Ross ahead of Rager. Um, but I also think that draft capital and landing spot and all those things kind of weigh into it as well. So there's a lot of factors um, that go into thinking about where to rank players and why. I think the why is crucial to understand. So I'm glad you asked because there are so many things that go into Debbie rankings. Um, and they're fun to put together, but um, it's kind of important to understand the why behind why people do the things they do. Right. I wouldn't put Tyler Johnson over, you know, I'm not putting Tyler Johnson over Rondell Moore because he's going to be in the NFL sooner. I just, you know, I, I truly believe in the talent. And I think he's Moore is the better player. So I wouldn't do that. So I just wanted to get your opinion on it. And I think you answered it beautifully. So before I get you out of here, something that wasn't on the show sheet, you didn't know we were going to do, but I like to mess with people when they get on the show just to kind of, I want to see where your head is. So I've Love got it. um our rankings up on DLF, Dynasty running back rankings, and we'll just do the running back position. I may, uh, I'll see how you do here. But you said DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor are your top tier guys, correct? Correct. All right. Well, I want to know where you would where you would slot them at opposed to the, the current NFL talent. So uh, right now we've got Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Zeke Elliott, and Dalvin Cook as the top five dynasty running backs. I'm assuming, safe to say, they're not cracking the top five. Is that right? That is right. Okay. So after that, we've got Nick Chubb, Leonard Fournette, Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, and Melvin Gordon. Do either of the, either of those guys knock one of these, the, the next six through ten out of that out of the top ten? Yes. So um, I have, um, I have, I think Chubbs, it's either Cook five, Chubb six, or vice versa. Uh, those guys are both safe. I have Jacobs at seven over Fournette. Um, he's fine there. I think right after Josh Jacobs, starting at RB8 with I Fournette at eight, right there is where I would consider DeAndre Swift. So. There are things, I mean, Fournette has really been outstanding this year. He hasn't scored a lot of touchdowns, but he's done pretty much everything else. Stayed on the field for all three downs, been healthy, uh, first and foremost, and has started catching a lot of passes. I mean, he's been good. But something you've harped on in the past is DeAndre Swift as a weapon in the receiving game. And I don't think anyone after RB7, where I have Josh Jacobs, is that and I think DeAndre Swift is could make uh I, I hate throwing these names out there, but uh, a Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara type impact as a receiver, even if they don't get that type of volume. I think he's that talented of a pass catcher and his routes are crisp and his hands are outstanding. So RB8 is where I think I would put DeAndre Swift. Um, I would probably slot Taylor in a couple spots below that, but that's, I think, where I stand. Okay, so then, you know, with, with Jonathan Taylor, um, would you would you take, uh, would he be, uh, you'd have Josh Jacobs over Taylor, right? Yes. 
Uh, what about Joe Mixon? Uh, that's a, <laughs> it's that's tough, a tough one. It? It's tough. Uh, if, if you asked me that question three weeks ago, I would have said Taylor, no question. But uh, Taylor has improved as a pass catcher this year. Um, I think Mixon is a far superior receiver than Taylor is. But he is also in a terrible situation. I think I do think they'll draft a quarterback early, so that'll help. They'll get Jonah Williams, their left tackle, back next season. That'll help. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has been an ugly year for Mixon. I do th- so. I think I'll take give me Mixon over Taylor, and then I'll take Taylor over the rest. Yeah, and and just I, I'm just gonna say this real quick. It, when I when I'm looking at these running backs. After after Mixon, you've got Melvin Gordon, Gurley, Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, David Johnson, James Conner, on Johnson, Derrick Henry, who I'm much higher on, Le'Veon Bell, David Montgomery, Marlon Mack, Sonny Michelle, Chris Carson, Philip Lindsay, and Kareem Hunt. Those are your top 24. When I'm thinking about these incoming running backs, I would take a lot of those guys over these players. I mean, just, just keeping it real. I mean, there are very few guys on this list of 24 that I'd want over these black box college prospects that we've yet to see take an NFL snap. But I just think they're more talented running backs. I think the top two, three, four guys in 2020 are more talented than Miles Sanders, who we have ranked consensus 13. I think they're more talented than Aaron Jones, who we have ranked 12. I I just... It's going to be good. You know, I'd take all of those guys over David Montgomery and Marlon Mack and Sony Michelle and Carrion Johnson. Uh, it's going to be a good, it's going to be fun to watch where these guys land. It's going to be fun to see the situations they end up in uh, because I do think they are just that talented. So, Joe, I, I just I want to thank you, man, for coming by and just talking strategy with us. This was a the first mailbag episode. Really, really appreciate you. So, uh, any anywhere the can you let the listeners know where they can find you, uh, your work, anything that you're working on. Just kind of plug everything that you've got going on right now. Yeah. So um, I write the for now. I'm writing the DLF newsletter weekly. So you can actually sign up for that. Um, on Dynasty League Football. It's free and it's sent via email. Um, So you don't need to be a subscriber to the site for that. And I write that up weekly, kind of just cover overall Dynasty highlights at the top, uh, talk through some news and notes from a Dynasty slant up there. Then um, it's really up to me to or whoever the author is to come up with um, a topic for that week um, that they think is either timely for that part of the season or off season or whatever the case may be. Um, so that is where you find most of my work right now. Um, I haven't really written up much for the site itself in a while, but I love getting into, uh, like scouting these Debbie guys. Um, as the season ends, I write about a bunch of our like Debbie reports and off season stuff. So, um, you can find me at DLF. You can find me on Twitter at jnamore24. Um, and yeah, I love engaging. So that's where you can find me. Man, it's been a pleasure, man. Really appreciate you jumping on the DDP with me. I hope you join me again because this went really well. I'm excited for this show. I think the listeners are going to find a lot of value 
in this in this episode. If you'll hang tight real uh, hang tight real quick and let me uh, close this out. I've got uh, some positive vibes I want to send out to the listeners on this Friday when you're checking this out. And this one comes from Will Smith, the man, the myth, the legend, Will Smith. Stop letting people who do so little for you control so much of your mind, feelings, and emotions. Listen, y'all, life is too short. You know, it's it's just fantasy football. This is a game of a game. And not just in regards to this, but in life, man, you control your outlook. You control your positivity, your mental space. Don't let outsiders affect your inner peace, your mental makeup. Do not let have do not let people have that much control over your life, over your peace, over your thoughts, your feelings, and your emotions, man. Love, live life, be merry, treat people with kindness, and have fun, man. So I appreciate you guys dropping by the DDP for episode 31. Really, really, really thank you guys for listening. Uh, If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please do so. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you can, leave a rating and review. I would really, really appreciate that. But other than that, you guys have yourselves a great weekend. Enjoy uh, the good slate of college football games that are happening on Saturday. And then the NFL on Sunday. And I will talk to you soon. You know what's next. Drop the music.